Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. So, to stimulate those neurons, I calmly whip out my Zippo and my soft pack of camels and light up a Siggy while battling five-foot waves and whirlpools. And no, it ain't because we're a bunch of inbred genetic deficiencies who enjoy fishing for other inbred genetic deficiencies. If it's some kind of like, you know, Tweedledum olive, I don't need to know it's the name. It's There's a little green fly, that's what they're eating, right? So we're good. If you don't like my ads, I don't care. You can buy a canoe somewhere else. I'm not the only guy in America selling canoes. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that's feeling confused because it's no longer sure if saying it stroked it on the water yesterday is a good or bad thing. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and I feel like we're I feel like we're about to dig into a core issue that's facing <laughs> the fishing community for this yeah, week. Yeah, this is deep. Uh, I think we're doing <laughs> doing good things, doing good service. For context... This all stems from a conversation Joe and I had recently when I went out and visited him on that that right coast out there, and some confusion ensued over the use of the verb to stroke in relation to fishing success. The word seems to have opposite meanings on our respective sides of the continent. Right. That's right. Indeed, it does. Because in the conversation, you, you told me that out west, stroking it on the water meant you absolutely crushed it. You just hammered the fish. And when you said that, it forced me, I actually had to check myself. I questioned my own longstanding use of the term because I have always used it negatively. Like stroked it to me means you had a really shitty day. Like you caught absolutely nothing. The joke, the joke of course, being that instead of catching fish, you were just out there like waxing the carrot, you know? Right, flog, flog in the bishop instead of getting getting real shit done on the water. Yeah. That's no, the I, definition I, think- I knew. And I think I think in 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 further talking this out, I think I've seen the semantic difference in terms of where it breaks down. But we'll get there. Before we do, though, I'm pretty sure you you like you went on a deep dive. You <laughs> I did. You did you did science on this. What did you do? 
I did. I actually, I conducted a little text survey among my buddies, and the results were kind of interesting. This were like a science fair. I would win for this. Um, <laughs> I want to see I, your poster, <laughs> the stroke hypothesis. Poster. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, all I did, I just simply blast texted the question: When you hear an angler say we stroked it yesterday, what do they mean? So. Of the 15 people polled, which is not a lot of people, right? We're not, it's a small like, sample it's, size. It's, it's yeah. small sample size, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, time is of the essence, okay? Um, I think they were more but people. You're not, a lot you're not of trying to publish this. Yeah, they it's just okay. didn't answer me, right? This is yeah. not going in a science journal. Anyway, um, of the 15 people polled, eight of them said that it means you blanked, you skunked, scratched, zeroed. That is the definition I know. Interestingly, though, right? Um, these were all people that fish the Northeast saltwater scene specifically. So they were all oh. Northeast salty guys. That, so that's that makes fascinating sense. point That makes one. sense. Yeah. It is. It is fascinating. Yeah. And I, I am actually truthfully kind of on the edge of my seat to hear the rest of the poll results. But <laughs> before oh, we yeah, do that, amazing. I gotta, I gotta jump in and, uh, may I suggest jump. that mm-hmm. a rod and reel from our good friends at 13 fishing might help. You East Coasters stroke it less, and us West guys stroke them a lot harder and more often. Yes, you can. You can suggest that all you want. Uh, As you guys now know, Bent is brought to you by the cool people at 13 Fishing and Miles and I. Yes, we have both been fishing a ton of their stuff this season, um, and it's extremely kick-ass. Very well made. And I got to say, whether you stroke it good or stroke it bad, you you will look good stroking it because 13 uh is not afraid to make reels and, and rods with some flair and pizzazz like i've been i've been snakehead fishing with their bright green inception sz um beginning of this season and the end of last um and that bait caster if nothing else i'm never going to lose it like you'll never set it down in, in, in you, thick you, brush and have to hunt for it it's nope. right it might even glow in the dark so good stuff it's true uh, it. yeah. I, i'm just <laughs> How many times did you just say stroke it in one paragraph? You know, by the end of this, said, if someone, if someone set would, a new record. If someone were to count the strokes in this episode by the end, you know what uh, I mean? And then time it with a Pink Floyd record. No. <laughs> so trippy, bro. <laughs> but anyway, 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 I want to hear about the, the remaining seven answers yes. in your poll. Tell yes. me about the poll. Yes. Okay. So six out of those remaining seven people had never even heard the term used by anglers. This was completely foreign to them. Two of them, interestingly, were local to me, and the others were from the Midwest or the South, which includes Florida. But here's the fun part. Here's here. This is science, right? Despite, <laughs> I think. It's, despite, it's sociology. Uh, sociology. Yeah. There you go. So you're, God, you're smarter. Um, despite never hearing anyone utter the phrase stroked it, uh, as it relates to fishing, they all guessed that it would have a negative connotation. All right, I think I think your your samples are are skewed, considering that it's just your friends. But what's <laughs> wait? Give wait. me the last one. I'm holding down for there's, that last there's, respondent. There's one. There's one more, and the remaining person uh, was guide Marty Yee, uh, who guides on the Upper Delaware. He's a good oh, yeah. friend of mine. Yeah, he's been on this show. Uh, he was the only one in the very small sample of, of folks that said stroke it means you nailed it, you crushed, right? Mm-hmm. But Marty, but Marty, this is here we go again. Marty also spent lots of time um, in the Rockies in Alaska, which means you know he's hung out with you positive strokes with us, with we there. people. Yeah, and the la- the last thing I'll add because I enjoyed it, my buddy Jimmy Bonanno made it a point to clarify that stroke it means you blanked. 
but stroked them means you hammered them. Though I've never even heard, I've never heard Jimmy use either of those terms. I've never heard anyone in my circle say we stroked them. It's always, we stroked it and it always means today sucked. No, and that's like that is the critical point of difference. The 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 it them mm-hmm. is is the thing that that defines the difference in these two phrases from different parts of the country. See, I've never heard anyone in my circle say they stroked it. Mm-hmm. But when someone says, "Oh, we stroked them," mm-hmm. it means they absolutely wailed on the fish. Like that is that is the the highest. If you're gonna describe your day in terms that you know it's it's next level, it's like, "Oh, dude, we stroked them." That 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 was <laughs> you you got it done. So. Like when I heard you, like when we were, we, I, it happened because we were driving around and you were calling friends for a fishing report and I was sitting next to you and you were on your cell phone and I heard you talking about stroking it and the phrase felt a little awkward, but I thought, you know, I, I assumed it was the same thing as stroking them, but in actuality, it was a complete opposite. I'm glad you brought up the context so that people just don't think we were just <laughs> talking about stroking it in general for hours while you were here. Just make you bloody Mary. We'll go sit on on the veranda and talk about we'll stroking it. Anyway. Stroking it. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a little it was it was a little confusing, but I feel like through this this uh, this sociological deep dive and and regional questioning, I think we really solved the problem today, Joe. I you know me too. I feel we've done work today. We've contributed. Yeah. We've made you all better, smarter. I'm I'm very proud of us, but (laughs) let's move on from stroking our own egos to stroking our fan base because we've got a a regional fishing report that we're 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 excited about this one. We haven't done one in a while. Very much different. As as the majority of listeners have caught on to, at least I think our regional reports give us license to to just do some satire and some fiction to have a little fun. However, this week's report is a hundred percent legit. Legit. It's. Yep. Report is a loose term here. It's more of a commentary. But uh, you guys might recall a news piece that Joe covered not long ago on on the West Virginia gold rush. Yeah, yeah. We talked about how West Virginia stocks just these insane numbers of genetically modified golden trout, pretty much more than any other state. And listener Zach Smith felt it was his duty as a West Virginia native to clarify why West Virginia is so nutso for bright orange freak rainbow trout. And Zach actually got his first shout out uh, on this show a long time ago. Some of you may remember, he sent us an article that he wrote about chumming (laughs) for trout. Um, But after this, after the the audio, Zach, don't be shocked if we make him our our full-time Appalachian correspondent. Hey, fellas. This is just y'all's favorite trout trummer, Zach. From West by God, Virginia. So y'all recently touched upon a topic that's hotter here than the Taco Bell fire sauce I use in my microwave golden trout. And that's the West Virginia gold rush. Alright, now, first, let me explain why we've always stocked a higher proportion of goldies in other states. And no, it ain't because we're a bunch of inbred genetic deficiencies who enjoy fishing for other inbred genetic deficiencies. I mean, that would just be a clanky thing. It's actually because of our affinity to the color, gold, not the mineral. We ain't got gold in them in our hills. We sure as hell got coal. I mean, the two may rhyme, but that's about the limit to their relationship. So the best way to explain our affinity to the color, let's use a religious analogy to flesh this out. So in West Virginia, God is WVU's football coach, and Jesus 
is our WV basketball coach. So, God, Jesus, and all the other disciples, well, they wear blue and gold uniforms. Now, the outcome of the game on Saturday will impact what you're saying in your head, on your knees, in church on Sunday. Thus, the color gold holds a special place in our hearts. And, let me tell you this, once our DNR figures out a way to breed blue trout, West Virginia will truly have exceeded our slogan of almost heaven. Because at that time, I'm going to petition to have our slogan changed to, you know that song by Temple of the Dog, Say Hello to Heaven? Yeah, that's right. Now, the funny thing about that is that there are actually blue trout. Like, I, I remember I wrote about them years ago, and I'm pretty sure it's a genetic mutation that naturally occurs in hatchery trout, which seems like an oxymoron. I'd, ha- I'd have to go re-research, but I think um, it's like the hatcheries can create all the golden trout they want, all the orange ones, but they can't create the blue trout on demand. That just kind of happens naturally, but only to truck trout, and and I've seen it written about most occurring in, in Pennsylvania hatcheries, so Zach will have mm-hmm. to get a merry, merry band of coal miners together and hop the border. <laughs> And go on a rogue stocking mission, I guess. Uh, that would that would really close the loop. And you're 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 right on the blue trout thing. It's a it's a random mutation that occurs in about point zero 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 seven five percent of hatchery rainbows. So yeah, uh, very rare. And and as you're saying, at least in Pennsylvania, they try to remove all the blue mutants from the stock before they plant the fish. Like they right. don't want those getting into the the trucks and out into right, the, right. the streams and I don't know the reasoning behind that but I know they they don't they don't want them getting out in the wild but uh your chances of catching one are very rare so yeah. that piece was a great follow up to to the news story ran how about we uh how about we stick with theme here let's do a follow up to a sail bin we did not yeah. too long ago yeah 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 we're just we're we're just taking deep dives on previous segments here but this one is a gem this is Ooh. so freaking good this is uh, yeah. amazing i hope that all of you remember the ad we covered from Craigslist, written by Jerry. Jerry, yeah, Jerry with a G, who's selling who's selling a used canoe, and uh, we've learned there's more to the Jerry saga. Mm-hmm. There's a lot here. We we mm-hmm. kind of dug in thanks to some help. And if you need either a used canoe or a cup of tea, you got to go connect with Jerry. Well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well, you you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. So a few weeks back, we did a sail bin uh, about Jerry, and he was the guy selling a canoe with no photo, uh, but a very compelling, if poorly copy-edited, Craigslist ad. And uh, Jerry gave us the idea for our Billy Wants a Shotgun stickers, which are coming soon. I hope I can, so. I, I can promise you that. Uh, many of you expressed interest in this sticker, as we knew you would. So Billy, Billy Wants a Shotgun. Uh, he does. After airing that segment, we got this email that, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just dig into it here. We, it, it came from a guy named Brian Adams, whose name we're trying <laughs> really hard not to make fun of right now. But you must really love his music, huh? <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 pretty, he's pretty good, I guess. You're goddamn right he is. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. I had to do it. I could not help myself. 
Anyway, <sighs> Brian Adams wrote in to inform us that Jerry's post was not a random one-off drunken lark like we thought it was. No, no, no. Turns out Jerry runs a regular satirical canoe sale operation out of his house. <laughs> and uh, and best of all, Brian has actually met Jerry. Yep. And yep. Here, here's, what, here's what Brian wrote us. He said, you missed the mark on Jerry slightly. He has been running ads for used canoes for well over a year, started pre-COVID. He actually buys and sells quite a few of them, gets beat up ones for cheap, hammers the dents out, and makes a few bucks. I know because I traded one with him last spring and made the swap at a Trenton gas station. So <laughs> he actually does sell canoes and a lot of them, but he is just looking for conversation. You nailed that part. Yeah. Well, so unfortunately, Brian didn't elaborate on his exchange with Jerry. I know. The, he didn't give us at any the details. Trenton gas station. And I got to say, right, this is like, I, I, I grew up in Trenton. I had my, my childhood home was in Trenton. This is my turf. And I got to say, um, that that's probably like the most benign handoff that's ever happened at a Trenton gas station. Cause I've spent some time, you know, at Trenton liquor stores before I was of age and like, you know, so it is what it is. Um, but I, 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 I can't imagine wanting to spend more than two minutes at a Trenton gas station. And I can't help but wonder how long Brian Adams got stuck there. Like, what did they talk about? And sadly, we don't know. Uh, Brian didn't include those details, but he did send us links to a few more posts that Jerry has put up over the years. Yes, yes, he did. And we thank him very much for that. We edited some of those together so that mm -hmm. you can better understand <laughs> and further appreciate the unstable genius of Jerry, the Craigslist canoe guy. And before you read these, I got worried because I was like, man, Billy Wants a Shotgun was real good. What if the stickers are being made and there's a better Jerry one-liner in here? But I'm still pretty sold on Billy Wants a Shotgun. I don't think, I don't think there's a better one-liner, but I'm glad we have more to, to, to build on the lore <laughs> of Jerry. All right, so, so here we go. Without further ado, some, some of Jerry's greatest hits. Last year, I had a bunch of canoes laying around. Yes, I do have a mental problem involving canoes. So... I ran these strange ads and tried to make them funny and invited everyone to have a cup of tea in my backyard. Well, I ended up selling a lot of canoes, and I met so many fine people. I sell Coleman's, Grumman's, Old Towns, and all manner of fiberglass canoes. I try to keep them around 300 bucks. If you see an aluminum canoe on Craigslist for 600 I will have the same canoe for 300 If you don't like my ads, I don't care. You can buy a canoe somewhere else. I'm not the only guy in America selling canoes. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go on here. <laughs> I had a guy bitch and moan at me for pretending to be clever, and I was told I should just post a picture. I don't know how to post a picture. I will be 60 shortly. The guy who wrote me and bitched me out is obviously a douse light, a shush laugh, a buzzkill, and a killjoy, probably sexually frustrated and wonders why nobody likes him. I know why. I have two 15-foot smoker canoes. I like that name. I imagine myself headed down a Class 5 set of rapids in Colorado or possibly Tanzania. To the right, a waterfall and certain death. To the left, just a titanic set of rapids. Or was it the other way around? Remember, I'm almost 60 and forget a lot of stuff. So to stimulate those neurons, I calmly whip out my Zippo and my soft pack of camels and light up a ciggy while battling five-foot waves and whirlpools. 
life jacket you asked those are for young children and <laughs> we will <laughs> we will just say wimps and i'm a smoker in a smoker get it ha these smokers are fine canoes one is painted green and the other just aluminum come buy one and hit the rapids while having a hot tea i am jerry come out chat while you buy a canoe and go enjoy america <laughs> So <laughs> oh god they're so good we, we're gonna we gotta do a couple others really quick just yeah i can't help myself uh the context the title for this next one was glad i'm not a soda can canoe <laughs> okay so here's how this one's gonna go originally this ad was glad i'm not a beer can canoe some self-righteous bastard must not have liked the word beer and flagged my ad what a insert your personal expletive no one forces you to like the ad, so just move on and do whatever the hell it is you do with your life, loser. Now to the ad. Imagine you were a piece of aluminum or even some bauxite ore. Would you rather be a soda can or a canoe? Soda cans. Ha! Crushed up and thrown in landfills or recycled into more soda cans or made into 737 maxes. Canoes can live forever, pleasing their owners and becoming much-loved family <laughs> members for generations. Mm. Oh. Okay, last one. We got to do one more. <laughs> last one. What an outstanding weekend. Several people came out, bought canoes, and went out and had fun. They took control of their lives and told their partners to either hop in a canoe and have fun or go hide in a corner and make sad weeping noises. Back to the canoe. It is an older old town. That should indicate to you that this canoe is made of tough, hard, light fiberglass. It is red, in all caps. <laughs> it's about 13 feet and four inches. Many people I have found like the short canoes, easily handled, stored, and thrown about. The guys look for the 13-foot canoes and think they are like 20 feet long. Something about the male perception of length. Ha! If you take it over Niagara Falls, you probably will die. I assume no liability for such behavior. So, swing on by. Buy it. Have a blast in nature. Feel the joy and send me a picture of your first outing. I will give you a cup of tea to go. <laughs> oh, Jerry, if you're out there and you're listening, you put the craft in online used watercraft sales. I will drink a hot toddy to you, sir. Yeah, I second that. Maybe this, maybe this eventually leads to Jerry on the show. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I hope but, so. I uh, hope a so. big, a big thank you to Brian Adams for alerting us to the depth of Jerry's catalog. This is for you, Brian. You know it's true Everything I do I do it for you The best thing to come from that for me were the terms douse light and shush laugh. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I... I I'm going to start using them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hey, man, you're such a shush laugh. <laughs> douse light over here. Where? Who well, says that? Where does it, what is that? I think I think you're kind of undermining the purpose of those, like when you drop in front of them. They're, like, douse light is one of those insults that sounds dirty <laughs> but isn't. Like, that's the whole point of it. Like, oh, that dude's a douse light. It sounds like you're saying something you shouldn't, but you're not. Ah, yeah, that's, I got you. I, I, I like those. I'm a fan of that. And, uh. I think I would like to work those into my vernacular as well. 
Uh, and hopefully you won't be calling me either a Dowsider Shush Laugh after I completely destroy you Ooh. in the weekly competition that we call Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. All right, before we hit news, just a couple things we got to cover. First, I have some very sad news to report. Uh, mm. You might remember that in the, the inaugural installment of our That's My Bar segment, I shouted out the Sip and Dip in Great Falls, Montana, and the iconic and venerable Piano Pat, who brought so much joy to drinkers and partiers for over 50 years. I'm sad to say Pat died earlier this week, and in a rare... <laughs> If there's a, if there's an upside to this, which I mean, she she died peacefully. All reports indicate with her family, so that's great. Uh, but if there is a, a an upside in a rare showing of bipartisan agreement, every single major politician in the state of Montana, both Republican and Democrat, paid tribute to her on their social no media way. accounts. Yes, every no single way. one. Uh, and I'd say, that, like achieving that nearly impossible feat, just shows how universally beloved she was here in Montana. Uh, and how much we all love drinking in bars. So <laughs> please just, how about, how about everybody right now? Take a minute and, uh, and join us in raising a drink to Pat. I, when I heard about this, I was personally sad because I will never get to experience this. Like oh. since this first came up, I was like one day after the COVIDs, whenever it may be, like I will get out there and I want to go to this bar. I, I want to go to a lot of the bars we've covered. Yeah. But that one has always stuck with me. People have even suggested since then, they're like, you need to have Piano Pat on. Like, I know. I don't know what we would do with her on this show, but we considered it. So it's sad. It, it is, is sad. sad. It is sad. Um, so sorry, sorry to have to pass that news on, but it seemed important to let everybody know. Uh, I also need to make a correction on a story I reported last week. I erroneously claimed that the 240-pound lake sturgeon caught by U.S. Fish and Wildlife sampling crew was brought in on rod and reel. Uh, I think that was magical thinking. I was being overly positive. I don't know. No, I, I, will, I have to say, dude, when I read that story, it was kind of vague. Like, I interpreted it that way, too. They had a whole thing about fighting the fish and bringing it in, and I just made an assumption that they were doing it on rod and reel. But uh, listener Jason Kaichuk, or Kaichuk, I'm not sure, who's a former employee of the Detroit office of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, very politely, thank you, Jason, uh, very politely <laughs> informed me that the fish was actually caught on a set line. So Joe and my dream of going and being part of a sampling crew that's catching these fish on rod and reel, that's probably not ever going to happen. So another no. another dream doused. <laughs> Dashed. At the, at the head of this. <laughs> no, doused. Remember, doused light. Doused light. Yeah. Shush laugh. Yes, correct. <laughs> Oh, well. Uh, so that's what we got up top. Uh, and moving on to fish news, just a little reminder. This is a competition. Joe and I do not know which stories the other person is bringing to the table. And we are competing for the admiration, the love, and the attention of our audio engineer, Phil, who at the end will crown one of us the grand champ winner for the week. Uh, and I think it's you this week. You got the lead off? It is. It is my. It is my lead off. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll get right down to it. This has got to be uh, one of the most interesting poaching stories I've mm. ever come across, because it has a it has a different twist than like the usual 
you know, like bunch of shitheads losing their licenses and being racked with fines. They most likely won't ever pay anyway. Like when they hit the guys at the bridge here in Jersey, that's typically what happens. <laughs> so this one, this one though, this comes from the Florida Keys. And I found the story on the website of the Miami Herald. And for starters, the culprit's name is Henry Danzig. No. How lucky is that? How blessed must he feel <laughs> on a daily basis? Unless he hates Henry- Danzig. <laughs> I mean, I it's mean, possible. Glenn Danzig, his, la- his real last name is Anzuini, so they're not related because he added the Danzig later. This guy's real birth name is Henry Danzig. Wow. Which is completely irrelevant to the rest of the story, but I'm a Danzig fan. So anyway, here's what happened, right? Danzig... Is a hardcore. I'm going to do it every time. You're going to do it every time. I know. I know. I'm going to try to get through it. Danzig is a hardcore, lifelong angler that lives in Tavernier. And according to the story, he fished so much that he actually kept a fridge in his yard that he would stock with fresh fillets. And anyone in the area uh, in need of a meal could always pop by and and grab some of Danzig's catch of the day free of charge. Hmm. He was also known on occasion to cook inexpensive fish dishes made from the fish he caught uh, at a small diner in the area that he co-owns. But it turns out that as generous as Danzig was with his haul, he spent a lot of time fishing in Bahamian waters, and he got busted by the Coast Guard last May for bringing back 500 pounds of reef fish from the Castle Bank in the Bahamas. Now, that's not all at once, mind you. That's okay. sort of like the, the grand tally that the Coasties estimate uh, since they sort of caught on to what he was doing. The day he got boarded, Danzig and his son and three friends had 167 reef fish of various species on board, uh, but he didn't have a license to fish in Bahamian waters, according to the documents on board. And as I understand this, if he had just been giving the fish away, it sounds like he'd have only had to deal with not having the, the proper Bahamian license. But because he was occasionally selling it in his restaurant for commercial gains, it means a, a charge of illegal commercial fishing kind of sticks. Like he sort of violated the Lacey Act, which bans oh, trafficking yeah. in illegal fish and wildlife, right? Mm-hmm. Now, according to his lawyer, Dan Gelber, as, uh, as he got busted, Danzig fessed up. Gelber says, you know, he gives most of his fish away to neighbors, local organizations, businesses, and friends. Um, but but Danzig knew they had him on the sale thing, and, and here's what he had to say, quote from the piece. He, sa- he says, I was fishing where I shouldn't have been. We are all stewards of our beautiful waterways, and I should have known better. Now, according to his lawyer, he fully cooperated with authorities and immediately asked what he could do to make this right. So here's what he did. He struck a plea agreement with the U.S. Attorney General's office. Now, Danzig might sound like a diner-owning fishhead keys bum, but he's actually a Morgan Stanley financial advisor. So he was like, hey, how's about I buy the Royal Bahamian Defense Force a brand new 30-foot contender tournament with twin Yamaha 254 strokes as an apology? And the Royal Bahamian Defense Forces were like, sure, okay. So he bought them a boat that will help them catch more poachers. That is the specific purpose of this go fast boat is to help the Bahamian authorities catch more poachers like Danzig. Now to afford that boat, he had to sell his own boat 
which was a 39-foot contender called Bodacious. That boat was, of course, involved in his own crime, so I guess it's it's like part of his sort of wiping the slate clean and starting over. And Danzig also won't be serving any jail time because of his, quote, extensive record of service to his community, which included fundraisers and giving jobs to young people at his restaurant, okay? Apparently, several Tavernier residents showed up uh, to his sentencing, and they were all like, yeah, he's, he's a real good dude. Gives me fish and stuff. Good guy. Don't throw him in jail. And that, that kind of worked. So uh, I don't quite know how I feel about this, to be honest. It doesn't sound like he screwed up once. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like over a, a long course of time, he was routinely running to Bahamian waters and bringing back loads of fish without a license. So I'm torn between, you know, he's a good guy that made a bad mistake and good on him for righting his wrongs, or he actually knew damn well what he was doing and just happens to be lucky enough to sort of buy his way out of it. I don't really know which one it is, but I've never heard a case like that be be rectified by a dude going, let me buy you a $300,000 boat, call it good, okay? Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I, I can feel like I, my own perception of this is 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 like a, a swinging pendulum. Because on the one hand, I'm like serial poacher. He knows what he's doing. It's the serial thing. That's it's not like he went out there and like right. one one day he was like, "Oh my god, I didn't know I was supposed to be here, but I've never been here before." According, the Coast Guard makes it sound like they had proof that he was routinely running right. into Bahamian waters with no license. Right. So, like, he, he, I don't he know. knew what he was doing, and he was he knew it was. Across, crossing the line literally and figuratively. But I also wish that the response of every poacher was akin to this one. Well, sure. To, sure. to, to like, it, it, I, I, it's not that we all, we all do wrong. I don't, I don't care who you are. We, we all sin and, and cause other people's harm and, and cross <laughs> the line from time to time. But it's, it's how you respond to that that really matters. And I think sure. that, uh, this is a, a shining example of responding positively. I, the other the other place my mind goes, though, is that this guy has the means to do that. He's not poaching fish because he's real hungry. No. Right? And, That's and the not everybody has that ability to just be like, look, here's a $300,000 boat. Yeah. And look, we've talked on this show uh, before. I, I have some captain buddies down there that, you know, when they were running, especially during the, the COVID pandemic, like if they had extra fish, they would throw on Facebook, like we have some extra King Mac, we have whatever, if anybody yeah. in town needs fish. So it seems like for everything this this Danzig dude has done, there's like a tiny counter argument. Like I commend you for having a fridge where locals can come get fresh fish for free. As Absolutely. Needed. It also pointed out contactless delivery during the pandemic. It's yeah. like, you don't even have to talk to Danzig. Danzig is inside <laughs> doing Danzig things. You can just show up and grab you some yellowtail snapper. But like that much of it, like you're, you're catching, like you're supplying an awful lot of people. It sounds like, like that's, that's a lot of fish. You're, that's you're that's the other thing. Like, why away. do you need like, to catch lot. that many fish? Why do you need 500 pounds of fish that you're mostly giving away? This guy like, strikes me as a very complicated character. I would like yes. to. I would like to interview him. I would. I really would. I would love to be able to sit down and just kind of pick Danzig's brain. We'll pit Glenn Danzig against Henry Danzig in a in a point counterpoint on fish poaching. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Phil, can you arrange that Danzig? But yeah, could you get on the Danzigs, the Danzig show, <laughs> Danzig episode? 
So, yeah, it's it, there's more to the story. We won't figure it all out today, but it's like just had me going, "Oh, good for him." Ooh, oh, I don't wait, know. no. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, I I love the complexity of this one. It's not a simple good guy, bad yep. guy scene. Well done. Well anyway, done. I, Bahamas, I that one. Bahamas, good on you. Enjoy that yeah, uh, 30 score. foot contender with twin 250 Yamahas. Go go good catch some you. poachers. Um yeah. I think that the bridge between that story and my next one is unsustainable harvest of fish. And, okay. and finding ways Clean, to clean, simple bridge. To, to I like that, it. To make that work. Uh and this one that I'm gonna talk about. Dude, I've been so stuck on the Seaspiracy thing. Like, I can't get it out of my head and how annoyed I am about it. And I just keep finding myself, like, in my mind, arguing with the makers of Seaspiracy all the time, which is pointless and dumb because they're wrong. But Have you uh, watched I've, it multiple times? No, just the once. I don't want to do okay. it again. So uh, I just want to be sitting home like, watching it over and over again. No, no it's, just, about it's an ongoing dialogue in my head with people who don't know I exist <laughs> and me telling them why they're wrong and creating <laughs> problematic propaganda. But I'm going to talk about a, another example of science disagreeing with that seaspiracy propaganda. A study recently published in the journal Marine Policy suggests a potentially effective solution for maintaining sustainable fish stocks in marine ecosystems, even in areas that are being unsustainably fished. And just to be clear, no. The answer is not ending all fish harvest and to stop eating fish. That's not the answer. In fact, this research seems to suggest that implementing strict protections in a limited part of an area can produce significant positive impacts on the fish population across the whole area. Researchers okay. in Kenya wanted to figure out which management tools could provide the greatest benefit to their fish stocks. So they, they looked at these two distinct areas where different regulations on commercial fishermen were being ag aggressively enforced. In one area, they had fishing gear restrictions, including a, a ban on fine mesh nets and, and other gear that's considered destructive. Okay. In another area, the gear went totally unrestricted, but 30% of the fishing grounds were set aside as a no-take marine protected area where fishermen were not allowed to harvest any life at all. And the results of this were stark fish populations in the area with the protected zone rose by 42%. Wow. That's big jump. Wow. Huge jump. Yeah. And individual catch rates for, for the individual fishermen fishing there increased 25 times faster than in the area with gear restrictions. So hmm. that's that's a those are staggering results, I gotta yeah. say. Like that that's huge. According to the researchers, no-take protected areas were quote far more effective at sustaining stocks of fish than restricting destructive gear. And here's how it worked. The different regulations were implemented in two different counties, which I from what I can gather is the the, the terminology that Kenya uses to divide up their fishing zones. Researchers monitored a half dozen boat landing sites in each county, recording fish catches at each. And, and here's the really unique aspect that makes these findings particularly valuable. The team monitored these fisheries and regulations for 24 years before publishing the results, making this the longest ever longitudinal study of detailed fish catches for an inshore marine area. No kidding. 
That's yeah. wow. 24 years. 24 years. Take that shit, Seaspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read some online articles. Anyway. And spent uh, six months flying around the country. Yeah. yeah. The world. Uh, the time and resources required to conduct multi-decade studies like this have previously impeded testing the long-term effectiveness uh, of no-take marine protected areas, right? Like MPAs have been a hot topic for a while, but no one's ever had the ability to study them for this long. Most research on MPAs has been based on much shorter duration studies or on simulation models. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, the findings of this research actually support what those simulations have suggested. According to the study's lead author, Dr. Tim Clanahan, quote, the no-take area in Mombasa occupied 30% of the studied fishing grounds. Fortuitously, this is the target for protection being proposed for the oceans, which is rarely tested and based on the results of simulation models. The empirical support for the models and the conservation proposal is reassuring. This adds to the evidence that no-take protected areas of sufficient coverage may compensate for the lost fishing grounds, particularly when fisheries are not sustainably fished. Hmm. So this is just one study in one particular area, but it seems like a pretty damn comprehensive and compelling one. It, it, it seems to suggest that if we can find a way to successfully protect 30% of the world's oceans for at least a couple decades, the resulting increased productivity in the other 70% of the fisheries will more than make up for what we lose in fishing areas. And I'm not like, I'm not being all Pollyanna. I'm not saying that would be easy. Like the feasibility of trying to do that and enforce it is, uh, is, is huge. Yeah. And that's what pops into my head. It's like, okay, great plan. Now, like if you just take one fishery, like bluefin in the U S it's like, how do you decide who gets stuck with the 30% of protected area, you know, off their coast? I mean, like figuring out which areas need that protection has got to be mess. It's, 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 it's a mess. There, there's, there's no question. And, and, but the thing is like, at least this offers some hope. Yeah. Right. And, and this is, this is what we need more of, in my opinion, we, we need informed research that says like, Hey, we can deal with these massive problems if we can find ways to implement the changes. And, and I find that far more productive and inspiring and effective than, I don't know, say emotional and fear-based media screaming that the oceans and the planet are doomed and it's all your fault because you ate sushi last night like that that's not going to get us where we need to be it's it's movements like this that say hey we suggest that if we can find a way to, to set aside 30 percent, there's hope that's what gets people going that's what gets shit done not not scaring the pants off of everyone and telling them that they're evil I wish more people would would hear this and get behind this as opposed to the headlines that the uh seaspiracy kid is making now uh, demanding that the president just like shut down all seafood, something like that, like just demanding, <sighs> demanding. Yep, we're 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 just walking away from science altogether. It's just <laughs> who cares? Who cares what scientists say? I feel that I'm right. Uh, yeah, well, very very uplifting. And dude, yeah. the the 24 years is sticking with me. Like that's like that's hard to mess with. I 20 years to me seems like such a such the right amount of time again i always go back to snakeheads but 20 years ago they were going to destroy the entire east coast 20 years is a long time and now look how that's come around so like if you have that much data that many years two decades worth that's much much harder to argue with so population dynamics change slowly you got to have a time scale to really look at that in a way that makes any sense exactly 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work. Try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription. And you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth you did talk about gear restrictions though so uh i'm going to transition into self-imposed gear restrictions things i say you should not be using Ooh, i like the thing let's we're moving into <laughs> joe's personal opinion on gear here all right what do you got we are, and sometimes I feel like I'm I'm beating a dead horse by ragging on technologically advanced lures, but it's it's like kind of <laughs> that, become my your beat. Thing. It's kind of become yeah. my beat. Like the loyal yep. listeners of Bent have come to expect that I will keep them apprised of horse shittery coming down the pike <laughs> in lure gimmickry. 
So I'm doing, it's, this is my duty. Not long ago, I did that story uh, about the hackers hacking into the smart heater in the casino fish tank. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. And you made fun of me a little bit because it had so little to do with fishing. Though, it was worth it for Phil's nod to Ocean's Eleven alone. Okay? That, that made was it worth the, it. That, that was the, the best the Phil response we've ever had. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Anyway. Uh, when, we, when I did that report, I said everything just keeps getting smarter and smarter. So we've talked about animated lures and robotic lures on this show. But the Model Zero from Japanese company, wait for it, Smart Lure, it's not just a clever name, <laughs> has leveled the game up, okay? Your animated lure is now a Nokia. It is already obsolete, and this is the iPhone 30. So I will spare us the PR speak in the beginning of this article on newatlas.com about how the biggest problem facing anglers everywhere is keeping track of which strategies work. Okay. We don't, we've heard that before. We'll just, we'll cut to the chase. The model zero uh, is a pretty big jerk bait style lure. And it looks very similar to a, like a Yozuri crystal minnow. If you guys can okay. picture that, if you know what that looks like on the back, however, is this weird uh, hinged metal, maybe plastic metallic fin, uh, that I assume is supposed to kick uh, back and forth like a tail, but to me, it's so awkward. It looks like it, it would get in the way of the fish getting the rear hook. And of course, the Model Zero is super smart. Here's what it does, okay? It monitors the depth it reached during every retrieve, its exact movement patterns, like speed, amount of pauses, etc., water temperature, and the amount of sunlight penetrating the water at whatever depth it was running at. And hmm. after the retrieve, simply hold the Model Zero next to your phone and it transfers all that data into an archive in the Smart Lore app. Furthermore, and this is the best part, it has a GPS function and instantly creates a map showing the tracks of everywhere it's been. So, and we've all been here, if you're like, wait, did I already <laughs> cast under that tree? You just fire up your phone, fire up the app, and you'll know. You'll be like, I did. I already put one under that tree. Oh, uh, hold on. Gotta, hold on. Before you move on, I have ahead. to say this. Yeah. What takes more time? Just throwing an extra cast up under that tree? Or looking or at your phone. pulling out your phone and looking at your map and being like, oh, I did already. Like This is what I'm saying, yeah. right? Like This is why this this stuff is so stupid. Um, and I got to tell you, there's, there's a video uh, in the article with just a couple seconds of underwater footage and I'm here to tell you the the uh, Model Zero. It swims like ass. Like it's not good. <laughs> like it does not have good action. Like it it seems to me like they very strategically did not give you a, a lot of underwater clips of it moving because I don't think it moves very well. Uh, the company's slogan, by the way, which I, I I'm sure was lost in Japanese to English translation, is for anglers who love the discoveries at fishing is the company mm. slogan. Mm -hmm. um, you can also share your data with all the other fraction of a percent of people who are using the Model Zero in your area. Uh, but my favorite part of the article was, was this bit of warning, right? Direct quote. While this is an interesting concept, it should, of course, be noted that anglers regularly lose lures when larger fish snap the line or when the lures get snagged on underwater objects, to which I say, why don't you make it smart enough to avoid... <laughs> underwater objects <laughs> smart guy okay then it goes on additionally because the technology is specific to the model zero lore users can't gather data 
on the performance of lures made by other manufacturers. No shit. I mean, that's yeah. like, the, yeah. no kidding. You don't say. Um, now, if you want one, which you don't, because this is a musky striper size lure. It's a giant lure. And it has to be, as these things usually start out, it has to be big because you're fitting like a motherboard and chips and all kinds of stuff inside the lure. But if you did want one, you can purchase one right now on Kickstarter, 140 bucks for one model zero. Leveling up smart lures right there. Wow. Uh, okay, this thing sounds essentially worthless and stupid, but my concern here is, as we know, technology continues to improve and get smaller and more efficient. And what if every rattle trap you buy in the future? Don't see it. Don't see comes it. Because I, uh, I because I am convinced, right? And I will I will die on this hill. I am convinced that all these things will only ever really cater to like people who peripherally fish or like this gimmicky stuff or or get sold on the idea that this is going to take them from a zero at fishing to a hero, whereas right. real dyed-in-the-wool anglers are never going to jump on this. We, but what we, about we, the tournament scene? Because tournament angling dictates what's cool and popular in fishing. And tournament anglers will adopt any technology that I think gives them a leg up because there's money on the line, right? But I think we're a long way away from this being uh, accepted as standards in practice in fishing. And in the meantime, I don't see tournaments allowing this kind of thing. Yeah. Not right yeah. now, anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? No, I, I, I hope you're right. I hope I hope that doesn't doesn't happen, and I hope you continue to stay on this beat. And, I enjoy and, this beat very much. Like I, yeah, I know, you know you do. We do. I don't touch do, these stories if I see them because I'm like, oh, uh, Joe's got that. I know we do. We do a lot of gimmick bashing on here, and and I I enjoy it very much. But again, like to your point, like we look at a lot of this stuff, like the zombie. We've brought that up. <laughs> I don't know any serious hardcore offshore captains who hurried up to buy that. And that's no. been around for a while. So yeah. that's how I feel about this stuff. Like it's 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 not really being made for people who seriously fish. At least not yet. I think that's it. and that's that last piece that that concerns me, but I shouldn't be cuz like you said, it's not happening now. So why worry about something that may or may not happen in the future? Exactly. We're good. So that's I mean, you're 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 reporting on the collection of data in a way that I think is is potentially problematic. My final story is also about the collection of data and fish, but in a way that I think is just fantastic. I, I might have a new favorite fishing state, even though I've never, ever fished there. Oh, yeah? uh, I, also, I also might have a new fishing hero, even though I've ne never even met the guy. Uh, but I'll, I'll explain it all. Well, you I, just, I just came out here, so it's obviously not New Jersey, and you've met me, so clearly I'm not your hero. No, this is not an homage <laughs> to why you're my hero. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I just recently learned about the Virginia Game Fish Tagging Program. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. All right. You're in for a treat. Frequent listeners to the show will know how, like, Joe likes gimmicks. I love citizen science and, and the role that, that anglers can play in, in monitoring, managing fisheries. I think that's so cool because, I mean, it's the two things we look for at the flea market. I got an eye out for gimmicks and you're looking for citizen scientists. Citizen scientists? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> but for as much as I love it, and we've talked about 
some programs in the past, very few states effectively leverage, in my opinion, the potential value of their anglers. And, and it seems like maybe none do it as well as Virginia. So back in the 1980s, leadership from the Virginia Marine Resources Commission, the Virginia Institute of Marine Sciences, and the Virginia Saltwater Fishing Tournament started kicking around the idea of developing a program that would involve sport anglers and tagging and monitoring redfish populations. Fast forward a long ways, in 1995, the Virginia Game Fish Tagging Program officially began with, with a scope of mission that was ended up being far beyond just keeping an eye on local redfish. The program trains and equips a group of about 100 experienced anglers as volunteer fish taggers. The anglers tag all the target species that they catch and release in Virginia waters and maintain meticulous records of the fish, like the size of the fish and the tag numbers. In 2019, this group of dedicated anglers submitted nearly 350,000 tag records. The program also supports significant community outreach to to build awareness among all the state's marine fishers and encourage them to report any tag fish that they catch. So anyone who catches and calls in a tag fish can get like a little reward in the form of free hats and t-shirts. Okay. In 2019... The program received over 35,000 recapture reports, proving once again that uh, that we fishermen have an illogical love of free hats, shirts, and other cheap <laughs> crap, and that we really like feeling like we're part of a community. Uh, the, the program gathers a huge amount of data every year about local fisheries that costs researchers very little, like comparatively, right. compared to what yeah. they would have to, to spend to gather that volume of information, like they're spending nothing. Revenue from fishing license sales and a matching grant from the Virginia Marine Institute of Marine Sciences pay for all the tags, education and outreach materials, data management, and, of course, the suite of free giveaway crap. The program also produces annual reports based on, on the information that, that they collect, and, and those are available to the general public. So, so anglers can see, they can actually see how their personal efforts contribute to keeping track of their local fish populations. And I read a bunch of these reports and I found them just fascinating. It, it's if, if you geek out on this stuff like I do, you should check them out. I think it's pretty clear. Like I've, I've definitely made this clear. I love everything about this program and I wish this model were adapted and adopted all over the country. But one of the unique and I think very smart aspects of this program is the fish on which they focus. Since 2000, the program has collected data on redfish, black drum, speckled trout, flounder, cobia, black sea bass, sheep's head, spadefish, tautog, and gray triggerfish. And that's it. You'll notice that the marquee inshore saltwater species of Virginia, striped bass, not there. Hmm. Striped bass populations are already heavily monitored by a variety of local and federal agencies. And, and the same could be said for like bluefin tuna. Right. Right? Right. So this program, it's so smart. They intentionally focus on fish that are available to people fishing both from shore and boats and that don't get primary attention from from fisheries researchers already, which allows it to do a a great job filling an information gap and using anglers to do it. I could think of so many things this should be adopted for locally. I know. We've just talked about this. Yes, everybody's all over the stripers. Where's the weak fish? Where's the blue fish? Yeah. There's not enough time or money for the agencies to be on that 
the same way they are with the stripers. And, so a and program like this like, could help. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So I, there's the whole overview of the program, which clearly I think is fantastic. And I knew you would love it. Perhaps even more fantastic is the guy who catches tags and releases more fish than anyone else. Ed Shepard of Yorktown, Virginia. Yeah. This dude, I- <laughs> this dude, my hero, he's fitted between two and 10,000 fish with tags every single year since 2007. His lifetime total now sits above 80 3,000 fish. You cannot have a program like this without an Ed Shepard. Like, he has to exist. Like, everybody in the office collecting this data, like, you can, like, almost, like, picture meeting Ed on the beach or in the bay, and it's like, yeah, that dude over there, he's out here tagging short flounder every Every, single day. Like, it it just, it, he has, for whatever is happening in his life, whether he's retired or whatever it may be, like, he has just made... He has just made this his life's work. And uh, so even more impressive, uh, he catches all, every single one of his fish from public fishing piers. Every Good one. for him. So, That's so he's not, he's not only targeting the most pressured fish. He's also catching fish with the highest percentage of recapture right? Because he's fishing in the places where the most people fish. So there's a good chance that ta- the fish he tags gets caught again. So not only is he putting out the most data, he's putting out the most valuable data. True hero. Real American he hero right he there. He is. Right? People and always so, ask, they're like, how do you catch more fish? I'm like, have the kind of time that Ed has to just be out there that often and that's, dude, that's, that's the thing. Like <laughs> they, they give out awards every year to the, the top five fish taggers. And and they have, you know, the photos of the, everybody holding their trophies. And Ed's always there. Like, Ed's in every one. And, and the only consistency I can see is pretty much everybody in any of those photos is, is a retired dude. And yeah. I have a new life goal, like, straight up. <laughs> when I retire, I want to be Ed of wherever I'm living. I want to be, like, the guy who just goes fishing all the time in the name of science. That's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. Well, For sure. you know, dude, we've we've ragged, and I've heard about it. We've ragged on like the citation angling stuff, like you know how you catch this fish yeah, yeah, and yeah. that fish yep. you get a state, dude. Like this is way more noble. Like I, I don't really noble. care about your citation pickroll. Like if you've tagged. 200 uh-huh. whatever for this year that is helping your state manage a species. That's way cooler than your damn state citation award. I don't care about the citation. Sorry. I care about your tag records. Yeah. I care. Citations, Tenkara, Croc. What else don't <laughs> what else don't I like? Every walleye. You know, walleye. We don't like walleyes. Anyway. Last point. Uh, last point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anybody who's out there listening that lives in Virginia, you want to get involved. The program recruits and trains new volunteers every December about fish handling and proper tag insertion. So you can you can get on this. And if you fish around Virginia at any point and you catch any tagged fish, just please report it because that's what makes all this work. You can you can find all the information you want about any of this stuff, including the reports, just on, online. Just go to mrc.virginia.gov, and, and they'll get you lined out with everything you need. There you go. Well, Phil has plenty of data to sift through this week to uh, declare a winner. And as soon as we're done hearing from Phil, we're going we're gonna to keep up with uh, – the, the the local regional slang thing that we we've already got going in this episode. And we're going to move into the weekly word. And hopefully when you're in Virginia, you will catch a fish that does this, that does the weekly word to your rod. 
Because I am the kind of sucker who would fall for the Model Zero, I have fallen for Joe Cermelli this week. Joe, you're the winner. <laughs> wow, this week we had Brian Adams, we had Danzig. I just want to keep this train rolling. Maybe next week we'll get uh, George Clooney, the competition bass angler, or Madonna, the fishing guide from Louisiana. I feel for you guys, but it could be much worse. I know of a journalist named Jeffrey Epstein, who I think is on the verge of either legally changing his name or just walking into the ocean. Webster's Dictionary defines fish as... Sticking with the theme of this week, when I was fishing with Joe recently, I tied into some stout American shad that had my trusty 13 Fishing Fate steelhead rod folded completely over in heavy current. I looked at Joe and said something to the effect of, hell yeah, we're getting corked. Instead of embracing the celebratory sentiment of what he knew I was trying to communicate, Joe instead decided that moment, right in the middle of me trying to land a hefty Roshad, was a good time to start a semantic debate. Corked, he asked. Who says corked? Nobody says that. I was too busy landing a fish to properly argue with him, but... I have since wondered where the phrase came from. Did I make it up? Is it just unique to my group of fishing buddies? I don't have a definitive answer. Certainly not the answer I was hoping for, which would be solid proof that corked is a legitimate and widely used fishing term, and Joe just doesn't know what he's talking about. But I do have a theory about where the term came from and how it made its way into my personal lexicon. First off, where I live. Corked is a slang expression for getting one's rod completely folded over by a big fish. It may not be ubiquitous, and certainly isn't common among people over 40, but it is well used. I cannot, however, find any evidence of its adoption in the broader angling community, at least not in that context. Best I can tell, corked is shorthand for bent to the cork, which is a widely accepted phrase in fishing to describe when a fishing rod flexes all the way to the handle, which is traditionally made of cork. This phrase is common enough that the now-defunct magazine American Angler named their newsletter Bent to the Cork, so at least I can validate the longer-form version of corked. But the story doesn't end there, because corked is a well-documented slang term in the fishing community out west with a completely different meaning. Have you ever been corked off? I have, and I've had words with other anglers and guides over it. Corked off, or corked, describes when another angler or boat breaches fishing etiquette by cutting you off. Say you're working your way down a shoreline, or a run, and another angler or boat jumps in ahead of you. Well, you just got corked off, also known as low-holing. In this context, the term corked comes from the commercial salmon fishing scene in Alaska. We've all seen how competitive and cutthroat recreational fishing can get. We'll picture what that could be like when tens of thousands of dollars are on the line. Just like in weekend fishing, commercial fishing has accepted etiquette, and setting your nets right in front of someone else's already established nets to intercept the fish before them is considered a major breach of code. Traditionally, floats on gill nets were made of cork, and dropping your nets ahead of someone else's, came to be known as corking them off or corking them. As is often the case, commercial fishing vernacular trickled down to the recreational scene and getting corked off came to describe a similar behavior in any fishing situation. My theory is this. Somewhere along the line, bent to the cork and corked off 
became intertwined in some fish-addled brain or maybe just got mixed up by some Guggen. Either way, since we all love shorthand, and bent to the corked is kind of a mouthful, especially when you're in the heat of big fish battle, corked became a term with multiple definitions, one positive and one negative. I use it both ways, and frankly, never even recognized the conflict until Joe started pitching me shit in the middle of the Delaware River. Okay, so I have heard the phrase bent to the cork before, right? But yeah. not cork. Yeah. That seems like such a West Coast thing to me. Like, it just sounds like it should be automatically followed by the word bro. Am <laughs> I wrong? Fair. No, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know. You've got me questioning it. Like, I've, when we, when we talked about doing this for this segment, I, I, I was, I hadn't thought about it much. Mm -hmm. and, and now, you're making me self-conscious about that particular <laughs> particular exclamation. I might I might have to cut that from the repertoire. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Well, think about it. Think about it. Take your time. Anyway, let's uh, let's cap off this week's show with a little trivia for a change. We'll skip end of the line for trivia here. And I actually recorded this with my good friend Joe Demolderis of Cross Current Guide Service way back during last summer's mousing season. But um, you guys have actually seen Joe more recently in uh, in B side fishing. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Joe D and, and you hit the, the radioactive Passaic River <laughs> chasing after some, some long toothy pike in Yes. In in Joe D's Clackercraft, mm -hmm. which I gotta say, watching that on camera looked a hell of a lot roomier <laughs> than your boat. And I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna out you here because it's okay, it's fine. Joe C here has like the mini Cooper of Clackercrafts. <laughs> I have fished, I've fished out of so many drift boats in my life, but I have never, never been in one like yours until I came out to visit. I mean, it, it's totally a clack. It's, it's a drift boat. Yeah. Only smaller. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. I, I told you what I paid for it. And even you were like, oh my God, I would have bought that twice. So I would have, I would have. It's just, it's, it's weird. It's different. It feels very narrow. Like there's no room to stand. It's, it's, it's weird. Anyway. You know what it's great for? One person. <laughs> It's really but good. When, I never fish by myself in my no, drift boat. I, I do, but that's okay. <laughs> anyway, if, uh, if any of you out there have ever wondered where drift boats, as a general term, like where the term drift boats came from, this trivia is for you. You gotta be highly skilled for these fucking shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well versed there? Are you a very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. Playing trivia with us today, my good friend Joe Demolderis of Cross Current Guide Service. Joe, how art thou? I am good. I am. I am also good because I am at your place, the Guide Shack on the Upper Delaware River, doing a little on location session here uh, while we're doing some mouse fishing. So um, we got to get you down for trivia, man. Um, are you good at trivia? No. No, you don't I, go to the uh, bar and do trivia. I, the, that's, I used to do that, and like, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, you know, probably forty years ago playing Trivia Pursuit at the bar, and every time you lost... You oh, had, yeah, that's fun. That's yeah, old school. They yeah, would just have the right. cards on the table. And you, I've been if, to a few of those If you bars. lost, you had to drink a shot. And, I mean, there was a lot of times, like, I just I lost. I couldn't play <laughs> after six questions. I was done. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, there's absolutely nothing at stake here to lose or win, so um, you don't have to do any shots if you get these wrong. But I always try and tailor my trivia questions to the uh, the person playing. And I figure you've got 30 years experience rowing drift boats and guiding. So here's question number one, okay? 
While many believe the idea for drift boats first came from crude logging skiffs in the early 1900s, history traces origins of the drift boat with many of the same features that they have today back to the 1920s. Which of the following rivers is considered the birthplace of the modern drift boat? Would that be A, the Rogue River, B, the Mackenzie River, C, the Colorado River, or D, the Deschutes River? Wow, I thought it was like Captain Ahab chasing whales around. <laughs> <laughs> those but, were dories, those okay? Were, yeah, but that's like the drift boat was I, well, an okay, offshoot so, of yeah, the dory. No, it, it was. The drift boat is an offshoot of the dory, but what I'm saying is at some point no, in was, history... It was Mackenzie River. Okay. Ah, ding, you're ding, great ding, ding, trivia. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, sweet. That is right. Modern <laughs> drift boats were born in the Pacific Northwest, and it was the Mackenzie River where these specialized whitewater-capable crafts uh, originated, and they were known as Mackenzie Boats. And fun fact, designer Woody Hinman, because I did my research, was the guy who figured out that these boats would be much more efficient if they were pointed at each end. Sweet. Yeah, and Woody probably, uh, you know, had like two bucks worth of material and trees he felled himself, and all these years later, uh, you know, we'll pay 20 grand for one. Oh, yeah. And then That's... upgrade it with the LED lights and the uh, built-in USB charger. World's most expensive rowboat. Exactly. <laughs> but I do have one more for you. This one's a little bit more fun. Uh, since we are up here mousing, doing a little night mouse fishing, that's a thing you and I enjoy doing together, tell me which one of the following is not an actual mouse fly that is out there in the world, tied on YouTube, I found all these. So which one of these is not an actual mouse pattern? Is it A, the weaponized mouse, B, the cousin it mouse, C, Ichabod's Artemouse, or D, the oh Mickey, you're so fine? One of wow. those is not an actual mouse pattern. All right, now this is really hard for me. I'll let you know. It's very difficult because I, I'm terrible at knowing names of patterns. <laughs> I really am. I stink at it. Like guys talk about. I knew this was going to be a harder question than the Mackenzie yeah, Drift boats. Uh, I know, you know people. People talk about like you know the itchy ball fly and this <laughs> and that. I don't have a clue. You know, I just know like that looks. Yeah, fish will eat that thing. I'll <laughs> use it, right? Yeah. So because you're a guide and practical when it comes to applying flies it, it, to exactly. Making it's fish like eat I, them. I, I don't need to know the name of it. You know, I don't. You know, whatever. You know, even a dry fly, right? right. If it's if it's something kind of like, you know, Tweedledum Olive. I don't need to know it's the name. It's There's a little green fly. That's what they're eating, right? So we're good. But based on the names you, you listed, yeah. I'm going to take a wild shot. I'm yeah. going to go with D. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine is not a mouse pattern? Yeah. That's correct. Whoa. I like win again. That's correct because people are so ate up with this mouse shit that it really, I feel like it, it could have been. I'm surprised that it will be now. Somebody will tie that by next week after hearing this. Totally. Well, thanks for, for playing trivia, and good on you. That was two for two. So that's it for this week. Remember, if you're headed to Jerry's, and you should be, to pick up a canoe, he is 60 and probably won't know how to take a selfie with you. A mouse fly called the Hey Mickey, You're So Fine has not been patented, but would likely slay gold and blue trout in West Virginia and bent to the cork and corked are not actually the same thing, despite what us out West bro bras try to say. <laughs> Keep those Salbin items, bar nominations, awkward photos, news stories, and everything else coming, please, to bent at themeateater.com. We always love hearing from you guys. Also, we love seeing those Degenerate Angler and Bent podcast hashtags on the gram those are in fact the fastest way to earn a sticker pack from us those packs may eventually include stickers that say shut up and fish douse light 
if we're going to stick with the Jerry making stickers theme. I don't know. We're going to, we'd probably have to license that from Jerry. Anyway, <laughs> until next week, uh, don't forget, no matter how you stroke it, at least you're stroking it in the open air surrounded by nature instead of in your parents' basement on the couch that used to belong to your mom, mom, and peepop. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill.